all of these things had to be figured out. And it took us a couple months to really get in the groove. But once we did, then we started cruising. Hello, everyone. I hope you're all having a wonderful day today. My name is Talal, and you are listening to the Popcorn and Soda podcast, the show where we discuss all things movies, pop culture, and so much more. I want to thank each and every one of you for making me a small part of your day. On today's show, we are joined by a very special guest. She is one of the finest cinematographers working in the industry today. Her work cannot be seen on season 17 of the Emmy-winning drama, Grey's Anatomy, which is now airing on ABC. On the show today, the very talented Alicia Robbins. How are you, Alicia? Yay, I'm great. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for coming to hang out on the show today. How have you been over this last year? We're living in such a crazy world right now. It's been now. crazy. <laughs> oh. Tell me about it, especially someone in the creative arts. How has it been? Yeah, it, it's it's hard to be creative when you're in a pandemic. I'll oh, say oof. that. Uh, but we least. were very fortunate to be able to still uh, do the show in the middle of all this and actually stay safe and do some pretty cool things this season. So, yeah, but it, it's been a whirlwind. It's it's nice. I'm actually I'm done with the season personally, and it's nice that I can have my face mask off and breathe <laughs> for a while so yeah uh, it's been bonkers oh i can imagine now for alicia robbins personally what's one thing you took away throughout this entire pandemic is there a new tv show you started watching a new movie a new hobby or something you started to rekindle your love for is there one thing that pops up oh wow for well because i was working almost the entire time um my new hobby was really just trying to relax as much as I could when I had a chance to do so. Um, hot tubbing, new yeah. fun hobby for me. <laughs> when I can get in a hot tub. Why not, right? So, of course. <laughs> yeah. And, and also just trying to get out on a bicycle and get out into the, the wilderness and uh, go camping and be in the woods. Like I, I've always been a camper. And this year, it seemed to be even more important to be able to do that on weekends, just to get out into the middle of nowhere and see some trees and mountains. And <laughs> so it's not really a newfound hobby, but it was a more appreciated hobby during the pandemic. Yeah, that's so great, especially because I feel like that's the one thing that if there's anything that we can take out of all this craziness is a lot of us started to, you know, step back and appreciate the smaller things and appreciate the things we may have loved and maybe lost along the way. And hot tubbing sounds great. That's uh, I'm glad that you at least had that. <laughs> we bought an inflatable hot tub at the very beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> I, I know that sounds ridiculous, but it is actually an amazing purchase because we didn't want to invest in a really expensive one just in case we weren't weren't going to use it and so we ended up getting like a $500 inflatable one and it's been awesome it's been really good so maybe we'll upgrade in the next year or so and get a real one 
There we go, guys. All this how uh, find that one thing. Hot tubbing. Uh, hot tubbing. There we go. Now, before we <laughs> deep dive into all things Grays, I'm so curious and fascinated by your story. I want the audience to really get to know Alicia Robbins. So where does this all begin for you? Where did your love of the creative arts start? And what were some of your early influences? Early influences. Uh uh, I, I really didn't start getting influenced in the cinematography world until later uh, when I was in college. I, I didn't know that I wanted to go into camera work until I was uh, probably a junior in, in college and undergrad. Um, I've always been drawn to movies, though. I've always loved movies. Uh, growing up, it was always Spielberg. I loved Spielberg films. One of my favorite films is Close Encounters. And I even watched it again recently just because I love it so much. Um, I feel like at least his early work really found a nice blend of how to tell story through the lens as well as using music to enhance it. Um, and I come from a music background. My family is all musicians and music teachers. And so I, I always found that when there was a, a good combination of music that pushed a story forward I was really drawn to it and I do feel like a lot of the early Spielberg work did that uh so I loved that I just I didn't know anything about cinematography and I didn't really start learning about camera work until I got into college and I was interested in filmmaking but I didn't know that camera would be what I was drawn to um and it was really kind of a a, a switch that happened I was shooting for the Vanderbilt TV station, um, doing segments that I was producing and also being the on-camera talent for. And one day I didn't have a camera person there to shoot the content for me. And so I had to take the camera and figure it out and shoot the content myself. Um, and I, I was like, ooh, this is kind of cool. <laughs> I, I like this technical aspect of this. And so I actually stopped being an on-camera talent and started working more behind the scenes and <laughs> producing my own work and shooting my own work and, um, and then trying to get on any projects that, uh, that I could get my hands on. I ended up living in Los Angeles over a couple of different summers while I was in undergrad and uh, being a PA and actually a Universal Studios tour guide one year. Oh, no way. <laughs> so, uh, just to try to see, um, just to learn more about what happens behind the scenes on filmmaking. Um, but it was actually, I, I've talked about this story before because it is a, a, a pretty significant reason why I ended up in cinematography I knew I wanted to make films. I knew I wanted to be behind the, the scenes, but I wasn't sure exactly what a cinematographer did. And it was on a movie that came through Alabama and um, I was a PA on it. And I was 20 at the time. And Wally Pfister, who's an Academy Award winning yeah. cinematographer was the DP on it. And this was before he was famous. This was before he started working with Nolan and, um doing the big work that he does now and all that yeah 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 this was all before that and I was I was just fascinated by what he was doing on set and and just the way that he could commanded the camera department and but he had such a great personality and um and so I figured out okay so that's what a cinematographer is that's I understand now 
what he's doing. And, um, and I would just observe him. And, and he also gave me some advice on how to get into the business doing what he did. And, and one of the things that he suggested was to apply to AFI because that's where he had gone to school. And so that's what I did. My, my senior year while I was at Vanderbilt, I worked towards creating content that I could actually use um, as my reel to, to get into AFI. And so that's, that's the path that I, I took. So he was a big influence. <laughs> oh, that's, and that's such a, an amazing influence to have, especially someone with his creative vision and just his eye for the shot. And that's, that's awesome because not many people can say they had an Academy Award winner almost in many ways, take them under their your wing and just like guide you yeah. in the right path. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And before he actually became famous too. Yeah. So when, when he started landing the Nolan projects and started actually shooting these huge movies, I was like, oh my gosh, I know him. <laughs> I used to bring him iced coffee. What? Uh. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was so then I knew that, okay, I, I did see something special. Obviously he wasn't just another DP. He was something special and so being influenced by that the right leader <laughs> to doing yeah. what I'm doing to say the least definitely do you remember what your first onset experience was my very first onset experience mm-hmm. oh good well that would have that was that movie because oh, I I that was my second year in undergrad and I was trying to go back out to Los Angeles to uh, the previous year I was a tour guide. So I wasn't really on set. That was more of a, you know, you've seen the tram tour. It's not really, you're not really on set. (laughs) Um, So I didn't know that, that generally you do a 12 hour day on films, like that's standard. Mm -hmm. And, and I didn't know that I, I, I thought, jobs are nine to five. I didn't know that anything was different with the film industry. So my first day as a production assistant on that movie that came through Birmingham, Alabama, I, I left my house because I was with, I was at my parents' house at the time. And I told them, I said, well, our, we got to be there at 7am. So I guess I'm going to be home by like four. Like that's, I thought I might be home Wishful by four thinking, o'clock. Yeah. Right. And then sure enough, seven o'clock rolls around and we're still working. And this is before cell phones too. Well, not really before cell phones. I, I just didn't have one at the time because it wasn't, <laughs> you know, yeah, um, course, this is like yeah. 98. So, <laughs> um, and I came home from work that day. My parents were like, are you okay? <laughs> what, what was, why were you gone so long? And I had to tell them, I said, I said, this is how it's going to be. Apparently 12 hours is the minimum amount of time that you're on set. So yay. (laughs) They said, are you sure you want to do this? And I said, honestly, it's still one of the most fun days I've ever had in my entire life. Even though I was standing at the end of the street and blocking traffic from coming down the road. (laughs) That's what I was doing on my first day. And I still had so much fun because it was just cool calling out rolling and cut and (laughs) my little hamburger headset on. And yeah, it was, it was a blast. You know, that's so interesting. You bring that up because I get that gist and that kind of vibe from so many creative artists that I speak to a 12 hour day or a 15 hour day 
doing something you truly love and something that's truly your calling in life beats a nine to five sitting behind an office desk any day of the week? It really does. And actually at the time I was also doing an internship that was only two days a week and it was an office job internship. And I dreaded the days that I had to go in there. I I looked forward to the days that I got to be the PA on the movie (laughs) doing 14 hours and dreaded the nine to five at the desk internship job that I had. So I, I knew, okay, I have to get into film somehow. If you can enjoy like you said, something for 15 hours a day, then you're, you're in the right profession. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That triumphs that, that nine to five struggle that so many people go through just doing a job that they just don't want to do, but they're just kind of stuck in that little position or they're maybe a little, they don't have the courage to maybe step up and go out. So that's why I just implore everyone and just our little chat right here about that. It's just, it's so important to follow your dreams and really go after what you want to do with your life because you'll live such a more fulfilling way that way. You have to at least try. You have to try. I I understand that there might be a time limit for some people on Mm -hmm. trying to pursue a passion. Uh, I mean, obviously things can come up, kids, family, whatever, where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I've got to just hunker down and get something that pays the bills. bills. Yeah. It's totally understandable. But if you can keep on pushing towards a goal. And at some point you have to figure out whether or not you can do it or not. Like there's a lot of people that I I don't know if, I don't want to say that don't have the talent to do it, but if you're pushing towards something that you haven't studied or that you haven't really put in the hours that you need to become an expert in Mm -hmm. that field, then I don't know how you're ever really going to get a chance at doing what it is that you want. You have to practice. You have to actually get good at that job. You can't be a jazz musician without playing your scales. You know what I mean? So, um, so I, I do feel like there's a lot of modern day youth and not just youth, honestly, feeling that you can just, and that's just, I think some people have gotten lucky in that regard, but yeah, most people you've got to put in the practice for it. So I, I do talk about that a lot with um, classes that I teach and as a mentor to younger cinematographers, it's about practicing. <laughs> no, that, that's so true. And especially like, as you kind of mentioned, there's this entitled shift almost in today's generation where we all want things now. And we sometimes forget that you need to put in the hours, the dedication. It's great to go after something you really want. But in a lot of those fields that we really want to do, you really need to carve yourself that space. And the only way to do it is to really go after it and put in the hours, as you mentioned. Now, taking that and transitioning that over to your personal career as you first started off, I'm really curious. Was it a linear trajectory where it was you did one project and then followed up by another, followed up by another? Or was it more so like a roller coaster where you did a project, you had a great high, and then sometimes you get that little dip and then it goes right back up. How is your career oh, yeah. starting off? <laughs> roller coaster with <laughs> loops, and sometimes the cart went off the track uh, and <laughs> fell into no the water belt. and got pulled out. And I mean, yeah, no, so I, I don't think that there is many linear trajectories in an artist's path. Yeah. I don't know too many people who have ever 
had that experience of, oh, I'm going to do this. And now I move to this level and I'm going to move to this. I think that's more yeah. of a corporate structure. Mm-hmm. Um, there are ways to pursue cinematography in that kind of structure. And that would be going through the camera department. So working your way up through the camera department. So starting right. off as a loader, then a second AC, then a first AC, then an operator, then a DP. That is probably the most linear trajectory that someone could take towards cinematography. Mm -hmm. Um, I did not choose that route. I think it was mostly because I had already done AFI as a grad program that me starting out in the loader AC position didn't really make sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I just decided to start shooting and even if it was really low budget, I, I figured that that was a better way for me to practice my craft than to, uh, go through the AC route. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. Um, I'm sure other people have very strong opinions about why it's necessary to go up through the AC route. Um, but I just found for me creatively, it was better for me to just do lower budget work. Um, and sometimes even take on electric work. I did some electric work in a, an electric department. And then I started to operate more. And then as I was operating, I was able to join the union, but I was always shooting. I was throughout the 16 years before I pretty much kind of got my break, so to speak. I was always shooting something and anything, anything that I was attracted to um, whether it be documentary or a, a music video or, or whatever it was, if I was drawn to either the people or the story or possibly getting to do something cool, then I would shoot it. And it almost didn't matter what the budget was. So yeah, definitely not a linear path. Um, so yeah, <laughs> it was more of a roller coaster for sure. I'm still yeah. on the roller coaster that never stops. The ride is going to continue. I'm just hoping that this time it won't fall off the tracks sometimes. <laughs> so maybe you can at least stay on. <laughs> I hear you. And you know what? I think after 16 years, you probably gotten the seatbelt on a bit tighter. The tracks are, you know, yeah. greased up a bit more. I, I think, you know, we'll be, a, it'll be a smooth sailing hopefully from here on out. Oh yeah. I have the full harness now. I got the full <laughs> harness and I, I'm ready for the loop. So yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's so great. And one thing that, I'm really fascinated about is you starting off like 16 years ago, even maybe prior to that, when you were just shooting in college and university. And now the resources that people have, especially cinematographers, having just a smartphone like this, you can literally go out and record an entire film and even edit it on your phone. What do you think is the biggest difference from starting off pre-smartphones versus now where anyone can really pursue this career if they really put the time and effort into it. I think that a blessing and a curse on could practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, because yeah, it was always really hard to get your hands on good equipment. And, and at the time yeah. when I was starting out, the digital medium wasn't that big yet. It was still, if you wanted to shoot something substantial, it needed to be on film. And so that mm-hmm. was really expensive. And finally they started coming out with HD cameras like the Sony F900 and um, Panasonic Vericam had just been released. And uh, as soon as those kind of cameras started to come in, coming out, I immediately 
embraced it because I knew it was going to be a chance for me to practice more and more without having to spend a lot of money. Um, But yeah, right now you can shoot almost anything with your phone at 4k resolution. And that's, that's great. And it's good practice, but you, you're, you still have to remember that this is not what makes good cinema. And even back then too, whether or not you're shooting on film or digital or a high camera, that also still didn't make it either good or bad cinema. It's, it's always going to be, how are you using those frames to tell that story? What, what is the story that you're telling? Um, I think people worry about what the equipment is too much. So in that regard, actually, yeah, go shoot on your phone, practice making stories, practice how you move your phone to tell that story, see what it feels like. If you can zoom in on it. I mean, these cameras on mine, I have a zoom lens on my phone, (laughs) like see how it feels different. If you're zoomed all the way in at this frame size versus zoomed all the way out at the same frame size, what does that feel like? How does that change the perspective that you're in when when you're shooting that way so the tools are still pretty much the same you still have to practice luckily then everyone can practice now they can practice doing something and i think that's really cool because i didn't have that opportunity when i was first starting out i would have to find a producer that was willing to rent some gear then we can practice um so I, I do think that people should take advantage of that if they can. Of course they can. Everyone has a phone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, there you go, everyone. You got Alicia Robbins, Masterclass, Chapter 5, just free of charge right here on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's transition over to what I think is such a great show and a show that just continues to keep reinventing itself. And that's Grey's Anatomy. It's season 17. That's just mind-blowing, especially in today's streaming crazy world and the amount of new content we're getting this show just keeps on trucking what was the call like for getting this gig it does were you a fan of the show before you got on what was the call like for getting the was yeah I actually started watching from season one so I was a a fan of the show um (laughs) I was really excited about it when I found out that they were interested in hiring a new dp over there to to start just shooting a couple of episodes to see how it how it goes. Um, I was really excited about it because it also was going to be the first, my first experience as shooting a whole episode of big television. Um, I had done for the people previously, but I wasn't a full-time DP on that. So the first episode that I did of Grey's Anatomy was the first episode that I had ever completely shot uh, on my own of television. So that was a little scary. Um, <laughs> like, Oh, then I better not mess this up. <laughs> and it was also, uh, 1519, which was, uh, the episode silent all these years, which was a really powerful episode. And, and I just, I had to put 150% effort into that because I needed to make sure that I was doing a, a really good job and, and, got them what they were looking for. Um, 
but yeah, no, I was really excited. And so after I did those two episodes for for season 15, they asked me back to join them again for season 16 as a full-time alternating DP. And of course that was a no brainer for me. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Now, one thing that's very interesting about this season is you guys are shooting a fictional TV show depicting a real life pandemic as we live in a real life pandemic. Is your head spinning yet? Uh, this, this show seems to be living in Christopher Nolan's inception right now. It, it really, really yeah. does. <laughs> Can't even imagine just on set the way you guys have to go through everything. So what's the approach to shooting a project like this as you're shooting it during COVID? It's not easy um, because there's so many limitations with just... Yeah how we can move around the set and how we can interact with each other. Uh, The one thing that is so important in any filmmaking culture is communication and how you communicate with each other. And all of a sudden when you're in masks and face shields at all times, a lot of that communication is broken down and you're not, you're not getting the information or you're not even uh, giving or receiving the information that you that you need to do your job um there was something that even my ad and i were commenting on that there's so many things when you're on set that are just unspoken in how things are handled and how um how your instincts play a big part on what's going to happen next and a lot of what we do is we eavesdrop. I know that sounds so weird, but when you're on set, you're always eavesdropping. You're listening to what your, your prop person is saying, because you hear them talking about a reflection on an iPad. And so immediately you're going, Oh, I already know that I maybe need to start thinking about what I can do with the lighting to help with that reflection. You're constantly eavesdropping on conversations so that you're thinking 10 steps ahead. It's not, like it's frowned upon that you're listening in on other people's conversations. Right. That's what we do as filmmakers. But with COVID, and now we have masks and face shields on and we have to keep our distance, that part, a lot of that went away. So now, yeah. instead of just being able to listen and eavesdrop and hear what might be happening, you're now having to rely on all those people to communicate to you directly what it is that they need. And so trying to get used to that habit of repeating yourself constantly, constantly asking questions over and over and over again to make sure that you're really understanding what it is that someone's trying to say to you. That was something that I think everyone had to learn this year is to over communicate and to really hone in and try to listen as best you can. It was hard for me because I feel like I read lips when I'm talking to someone, not that I can't hear, but I do rely on looking at someone's face and reading their lips to really understand them. And then all of a sudden that was gone. And so I had to retrain my brain to Mm. watch eye movement and really listen to what it is that they're saying in order to understand it. So yeah, it was, it wasn't easy, but we still made it work. I think it took us a couple of months though, to really get in the groove. The first couple right. of months were, were hard because people also just had to figure out how do you hydrate? You can't drink any fluids yeah. on set because you can't pull your mask down to drink. So 
how do you make sure that you're getting the nutrients that you need in your body to sustain? <laughs> um, all of these things had to be figured out. And it took us a couple of months to really get in the groove. But once we did, then we started cruising and we were making our 10 hour days and still getting almost just as much content as we'd shot before. And it was pretty fascinating how, uh, how well our crew adapted it. And I don't know if, I don't know if that's how it was on a lot of other sets, but I felt like our crew adapted incredibly well and fast. For sure. And in terms of technicality wise, being a cinematographer, did you have to adapt? I know you spoke a lot about just getting in the groove of things and having to listen in and having that imperative communication in terms of focal lengths, lenses, and the types of cameras you were using on the show. Did you feel that you had to adapt in terms of keeping the distance between the cast and just getting in and getting the shot that you normally would pre-COVID, but now you're in this crazy world where you have to find alternate ways of getting that shot. How was that process for you personally? Yeah, because, uh, because a lot of Grey's Anatomy works in small spaces, it wasn't really about necessarily going longer lenses where the camera was distant from the actors. Instead, we a telescoping crane that a camera always lived on so it could pickle out and get in places that we normally wouldn't be able to put a camera operator with a camera. Um, and it was actually the, the first of its kind in the US. So it was really exciting to be able to get that crane on this show. And it was a really spectacular piece of equipment. And then the uh, B camera, we also had on a remote head. So it wasn't manually operated by the camera operator. It was a remote system that he operated from a ways away. And so then it was only a dolly grip that was in the room. Um, and then the third camera, we try to keep on the longer lenses. Uh, and so that was a thing too. It was weird because even though we were supposed to make the set smaller and less populated, we ended up going with three cameras at all times because we also knew that we needed to get extra coverage and faster uh, to make our days. So we always had three cameras, but it's you don't see a lot of people around because we'd had two of those cameras completely remote. Um, and that's kind of how we handled at least keeping the distance from the actors. And, and then of course, anyone who uh, is on set has to be in the mask and the face shield all the time. Um, there wasn't a pulling your shield off and we, we, we would get fussed right. at because <laughs> you, you forget sometimes you flip it up because you're doing something. And so they always mm. come around and they're like, shield, <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, we, we did get to experiment a little bit with how we moved the camera this season. And I, I think you feel that because we're living on that crane all the time. Yeah. Uh, almost every single scene, there's going to be mm -hmm. a pretty cool camera move that gets you into it. Um, and we, we didn't get to do that last season as much. We would have to have, we'd have a crane maybe one or two days of an episode, but this time we had it every single day for every single scene. So it gave us that ability to be really creative and be creative on the fly with the camera movement. So in some ways COVID liberated us a little bit 
because we were able to have that crane all the time. <laughs> oh. So once COVID's done, I don't know if they're going to take the crane away at that point or what, but uh, I really loved it. So I hope that it can stick around. <laughs> Well, that's interesting you bring that up because let's talk a little bit about that. The impact of COVID on this industry going forward. What do you think is going to be the new norm? Is it going to be eventually really hoping that things do get to somewhat of a new normal or whatever that may look like? But from someone's perspective, who's in the trenches, who's shooting these shows, in your opinion, what's the future of this industry and cinematographers especially? Um, I do think that one thing that might stick around is Zoom meetings. Yeah. Because <laughs> this it, kind of it, stuff. It is yeah. Help. yeah. If you're having to go into a conference room every single time you need to have a meeting with producers or other creatives, it's time consuming. So to be able to sit at your desk and be able to do screen sharing with ideas and photographs. And yeah. like our production designer would do screen shares of overhead maps of what he's thinking and being able to have that uh, without being in a conference room. I think a lot of that might stick around. Um, I still like to have the one-on-one -on -one meetings as well, especially with my director. Uh, mm -hmm. But I do think a lot of production meetings will probably still happen over Zoom. And I actually hope that they do because it does I think help speed up the process. Yeah, sounds um, as long as everyone's paying attention. That, yeah, <laughs> sometimes well, people don't pay attention though, so it gets because you get Zoom fatigue. So you got to oh. find a balance. You got to find a balance yeah. of meetings with Zoom and meetings without. Um, I think that I I would love it if shorter days would stay. I I don't know if that's going to happen because trying to meet the 10 hour day requirement. That was actually for us. We had a 10 hour day requirement because it, gotcha. it's hard to be in that PPE over 10 hours. It really right. is. And mm -hmm. um, so that was just determined that to keep everyone safe and sane during COVID, we need to try to be meeting these 10 hour days. It's really hard to get need in a 10 hour time period. It's doable, but I felt for me, I felt like I was just, my wheels were spinning constantly all day long. Like there wasn't oh, a time to just breathe and, and take a moment because <laughs> it was just like, we got to hit these timelines in order to make our 10 hour day. Um, it would be cool for the, the crew if we could keep tens, but I, I think that after COVID's done, I think we'll probably go back to a 12 hour standard, honestly, maybe I'm yeah. wrong. Here's wishful thinking but wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah that's it's, we're just gonna have to wait and see especially with as we transition over to a world where vaccinations are so much more prevalent in north america especially we're just gonna see how more how much more efficient and how much more of the lessons that we learned during this pandemic that we can apply to our everyday shoots because it's gonna be really interesting because in an industry where you have to constantly adapt now people are going to have to adapt once again as we ease off the restrictions, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's going to be that much adapting, though. I think yeah. people fall into their old habits pretty easily. <laughs> uh, fair enough. Yeah, but, uh, I'll give you that. That's true. Yeah, especially if you've been doing it for so many years. It, it, uh, to form a new habit this past year, um, I don't know if that's really going to stick around. But I do, I do hope that the Zoom production meetings 
I think finding a nice combination with that, I think could be really nice. And also uh, uh, people being able to remote um, remote work. Uh, some I know some editors are, are working from home. Writers can work from yeah. home. Like there's no reason to have everyone commuting to the set all the time. It's just adding, it, it's adding to our carbon footprint to make people drive to a studio if they don't have to be there. So even for me, when I was doing pre-production, if I didn't have to go in for a COVID test, I would try to do pre-production from home with the Zoom calls so that I, I wasn't having to drive to the studio. So I do think that just to help LA traffic, as well as our carbon <laughs> footprint, if we can do more things remotely, um, that is in the pre-production world, I think that could be beneficial. I love it. Alicia Robbins looking out for the world and uh, our modern day Captain Planet. I love it. It's, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. The final question that I have for you regarding all things cinematography, film, TV, creative arts, what does the creative arts mean to you? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Throw you that one right there. <laughs> That's a huge question. Oh my hey, gosh. There's no going back on that one. I got to hear your answer on this. I'm really fascinated I know, by what right? you have to say. Um, <laughs> creative arts for me is my life. It has been and, and will always be. I, I grew up in the creative arts with my mu musical family. Um, so I've never really known anything different than being in the creative arts. I can't imagine a life without being creative. And, and I do feel, I feel that everyone should have some sort of involvement with, yeah. with their own creativity. I think it's important because we, we discover more and more that innovations, technology, how we interact with people, how we communicate with each other is, is advanced and is better when there's a creative background to it. And I, I just feel like if we don't continue to push forward with letting people learn music, learn how to paint, learn how to do photographs, learn, learn engineering is the creative art form. We're not, we won't advance as a society unless people can be creative. So not only is creative arts my life, but it is life. It is. Everything that we've done as human race has been because someone was creative. So that's, that's how I feel about it. Um, we just, we have to continue pushing it for everyone to practice some sort of creative form. That, that was a very deep answer. I'm getting goosebumps here. Uh, it's it, it's life. Cre <laughs> creativity is life. And it, just it's coming from life. someone. It, it is. <laughs> and as someone who works in the creative space for a living, it's just so great to hear those kind of amazing insights from someone who practices day in and day out. And hey, you can be a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, whatever. There's ways of finding that creativity within every field, every profession. And you really got to put yourself out there for that. Absolutely. No, it's true. <laughs> for sure. As we wrap up with the great Alicia Robbins, it is now time for a segment I like to call the final act. Alicia, we're going to ask you 10 rapid fire questions about your likes, your dislikes. And I want the first thing that pops into your mind, just blurt it out. But here's the catch. 
We're going to give you 60 seconds to try to get through as many of them as you can. If you go over the time limit, it's all good. But we just want the first thing that pops in your head. You up for the challenge? Sure. Yes. <laughs> Movies or TV shows? TV shows. Theater or watch at home? Theater. Favorite movie? Close Encounters. <laughs> <laughs> Favorite TV show not named Grey's Anatomy? Handmaid's Tale. All right. One sequel better than the original? Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Now I'm having a fog. Oh, my gosh. Shoot. Back to the Future, was... Lord of the Rings, uh, Godfather. Oh, none. none. All right. You I'm know sorry. what? We'll give you, we'll give you the pass on this one. It's all good. Uh, should, <laughs> should Hollywood reboot Back to the Future? Should it do what? Bring back? Re reboot Back to the Future. No. <laughs> <laughs> the default answer to that, for sure. <laughs> Summer or fall? Fall. Does pineapple belong on pizza? No. <laughs> I like that answer. <laughs> Film or digital? Digital. Favorite camera to shoot on? Oh. Nope, I can't answer that. I'm camera agnostic. <laughs> Sorry. All right, There's we'll no cut that one thing. out. There's no <laughs> such thing. <laughs> All right. And lastly, describe season 17 of Grey's Anatomy in one word. Ooh. Dreamy. <laughs> uh, there we go. Uh, <laughs> walk right into that one. Uh, that was awesome. You're, you're great at that. And I love the honesty on all those answers there, especially the dreamy one. That was just, I set myself thing, up. Though, that really, because I'm really trying to think. That's yeah, hard that's because I don't really, I don't like any sequels better than really? the original one. Maybe you can enlighten me. What do you think is a good sequel? Uh, Dark Knight is great uh let's see okay first, all right i can i could see that but i still like the first one yeah see it's like it, i feel like sometimes when i ask that question people think oh i'm choosing between one or the other but hey you can enjoy batman begins and like the dark knight you can enjoy uh fellowship of the ring yeah. and like two towers godfather one I, godfather two empire strikes back yeah i still always like the <laughs> first I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a hard one because I don't really have one that I like over. <laughs> well, how about this? Next time you're back on the show, I'm going to ask you that question and there's not going to be a pass on that. This is going to be your homework for our next conversation. All right, copy that. <laughs> uh, Got so, it. Alicia, thank you so much for coming to hang out on the show today. And thank you for your contributions to the creative arts. I'm such a fan of your work and I'm so excited for the rest of the season for Grace Anatomy. And I look forward to having you back on and discuss the next one. Thank you so much. It's so nice to meet you.